You know, Sophie once gave us a, a great image when we were working on the book because she was always around. She had a lot of thoughts and pains going back <laughs> to her teenage years. And at one point, she turned to us one day and she said, you know, the rosary is a stowaway in the whole of the Catholic Church, smuggled mm. down centuries, right? It's this devotion to the Great Mother that's been basically smuggled down in the whole of the church. But so lately, I've been thinking, like, like, well, what was that? What did they smuggle, those old grandmothers and everything? And I remembered, I've heard this from a number of different people, not from just one source. People, you know, you talk to people about, well, you know, where did your people come from? Well, my grandmother came over on her own, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. What they brought with them were seeds. They brought with them the seeds for the food they knew how to cook. And, and for the plants, they knew how to raise from the country they were born in. And a lot of the plants, the cultivated plants that we have and eat here were brought over by these old women who hid them. You know, like early on, they didn't need to hide them because there were no rules about it. Later, they would stitch them into their bras, right? So yes. my mother did. Your mother did. Yes. <laughs> so they would, you know, and they would bring them over. And so the, the rosary is like that. It's a, it's a rewilding. But it's also something that, that these people cultivated, you know, for a long, long time. It seems wild to us, right? But they're just the old ways that go back, you know, many, many centuries. Compared to modern life and the way they, we live, they seem wild. But they've been cared for and tended for, you know, thousands of years by our ancestors. Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Revelation Project podcast. What does it mean to surrender certainty and live within mystery again? to recover the dark wisdom of the dirt and the dead, to find our way together in an age of chaos and collapse? Well, we're about to find out. But first, a bit of background. Since ancient times, roses have symbolized the divine and the creator's active presence in our lives. The rose is also a representation of the gradual process of revelation, healing, and the many layers of wisdom that unfold throughout our lifetime. Roses have also long served as the symbol of the Lady, also known as Mother Mary. Mary is closely associated with the Rosary, but what most people don't realize is that she and the Rosary are also closely associated with the goddess Isis. You may be surprised to realize that the Rosary has many incredible mysteries that lead us down the radical path to the Divine Feminine. Before a vision of the mysterious lady invited Clark and Perdita to pray the rosary, they were not only uninterested in becoming Catholic, but were finished with institutional religion altogether. Their main spiritual concerns were the fate of the planet and the future of their children and grandchildren in an age of ecological collapse. But this lady barely even referred to the church and its prescriptions. Instead, 
She spoke of the miraculous power of the rosary to transform lives and to heal the planet. Their book, The Way of the Rose, The Radical Path to the Divine Feminine, Hidden in the Rosary, completely floored me, and I consider it essential reading on the path to more deeply connecting with the Divine Feminine. Clark Strand and Perdita Finn are the co-authors of this book, The Way of the Rose. They are also founders of an international fellowship by the same name, devoted to the earth and the lady by any name you wish to call her. They are committed to rewilding prayer and our experience of spiritual community. Clark has written numerous books, including Seeds from a Birch Tree, Haiku as Spiritual Practice, and Waking Up to the Dark, Ancient Wisdom for a Sleepless Age, and he connects people to the living world with his workshops on haiku. Finn is the author of the forthcoming Take Back the Magic, Getting to Know the Dead, and leads friends into the underworld with her intensives on the dead. Join me in welcoming them. Hello, Clark and Perdita. It's so great to have you. Hi, Monica. Hi, Monica. It's great to be on the show. I'm honored to have you both. And for our listeners, I was just telling Perdita and Clark that I had no idea when I interviewed their daughter, Sophie Strand, that there was any relationship. And so <laughs> it's pretty wild that I happened to have been listening to The Way of the Rose as an audiobook, and it was only after I had interviewed their daughter that I continued listening and was putting the pieces together. Who is this Sophie now that I'm hearing about in The Way of the Rose? And so, of course, <laughs> I'll connect Sophie's interview as well in the show notes. But I always say, you know, that... This path for me, like the Revelation Project for me, has really been about revealing the Divine Feminine in my life. And so much of that is trusting the way. Well, and once you start to trust the way, the coincidences and the synchronicities and the entanglements are everywhere. They really are. They really, really are. And it's just, it's one of those things where I think, you know, these are now everyday miracles. When I remember to just surrender or be in the flow or come back to my breath, that there's there's so much that I know that we can jump in and talk about, but just interesting that we're kind of first embarking on the way, right, of just surrendering to that feminine, to that, to, to that which I think we have forgotten up until these times. And I think there's, what I'm feeling is, is like a I liken it almost like how you might see a wave across a stadium or at a at a concert, a music concert, you know, where people, it's like a wave of consciousness, it feels is kind of coming up as people are awakening all over the planet. And I really believe that this is what we call the return of the divine feminine. Well, mother never goes anywhere. The ground is always beneath our feet. You know, if you want to know if she's real, she once said, God saw it, lift up your foot and put it down. And if it lands on the earth, I'm there. Yes. And it's true. The earth doesn't go anywhere. No. And it's true, Perdita. It's like, how, right? How have we forgotten, you know? And what what is this? 
you know, we often talk about everything is hidden in plain sight, but I would love to just maybe start by having, you know, the two of you take each take a turn here in just telling our listeners a little bit more background about how this all started for you. (laughs) If we were going to be totally honest, Monica, I think we would say this has been the journey of lifetimes and that we arrived in this life with work to do and this was it. Mm -hmm. And so there wasn't an experience or a moment in our lives that wasn't somehow preparing us. I mean, I think we both turned to each other when we finished The Way of the Rose and said, oh, we did it. We did what we were supposed to do in this life. I mean, it wasn't easy. It was a seven-year writing project with the two of us. And, and you know, Our Lady wanted that alchemical energy of male and female in this mm. book. And that's not always pretty. No. When we were writing the book, our, <laughs> our, our kids, uh, were when we started the book, both of our kids were still living at home. And they would come downstairs at some point and say, stop fighting. And we would say, we can't stop fighting. If we stop fighting, we stop writing. And it, and it was that fight and that erotic, passionate, I know what I want to say, I know what I want to say, and then from what was born, what needed to be said. And it was that meeting of male and female energies and perspectives, which the rosary itself offers, which is this tremendous, al- the medieval devotees of the rosary understood it as an alchemical magic mm. of the hero's gummus, of the sacred marriage, whether it's within us or without us that we are igniting this sort of passionate, fertile, efflorescent, uh, creative experience. So how did we get there? I mean, our whole lives. And Clark wrote a book called Waking Up to the Dark, which we consider the first book in our trilogy, which is about, which he can share as his lost experiences of the darkness and how he came to the lady. I have just finished a book on the dead, and Clark would say the dark led him to the lady, and I would say the dead led me to the lady. Hmm. And that would be the short story. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, you know, although we were kind of born to this work and, you know, been been, uh, doing it in one way or another all of our lives, there's definitely a before and after. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, before the apparition started in 2011, uh, you know, we were on uh, one path. And uh, I think we, at various times, thought we had some idea where we were going and whatever those ideas were, they were all wrong. <laughs> and I think I think we should say as both of us at before 2011 were fed up with institutional religion of all yeah. varieties. I was not raised in any spiritual tradition. Um, I was raised by Bohemian atheists. I was converted to Catholicism mysteriously for about 10 minutes in college. <laughs> <laughs> for, for a hot minute, uh, maybe 11 minutes. Yeah. That's generous. Maybe 11. Maybe 11. <laughs> Maybe 11 minutes. But as, 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 a, as a radical feminist, it was a sort of odd choice. And I think I was looking for someone to teach me about the lady and the rosary. And, and fascinatingly, I was never even taught the Hail Mary. She, she had been so eradicated from institutional Catholicism at this point. And that's who I was looking for. And I found her on my own later. Went into Buddhism. Clark became a Buddhist monk. He can tell you about his path. And I found myself as a young mother fed up with being stuck in the back room with my children at the Buddhist monastery, stuck in the back room with my children at the Episcopal Church, deciding that I would hang out in my own house, in my own room, with my own children. 
But what I felt desperately the need for as a young mother uh, was a mother of myself. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to pray the rosary. I couldn't tell you why. It didn't make any sense how, as a feminist, ex-Buddhist, momentary Catholic, I wanted to pray the rosary. But I did. And Clark, my husband, the ex-Buddhist monk, was the one who taught me how to pray the rosary. And well, he wonders never cease. It wonders never cease. <laughs> and I took to it as a young mother mm -hmm. because it calmed me down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're in an ER with a child, our daughter has a very serious genetic illness. And you're not going to be following your breath when you're in an ambulance with your child headed to the hospital as fast as you can. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. But what your instinct is, is to hold on. And what I would hold on to are my beads. And that is what human beings have been doing for 100,000 years. It is our first instinct when we're born as babies to hold on. And it is what we've been doing as human beings whenever times are tough. We want to hold on to our mother. The rosary is an umbilical cord. Mm -hmm. And I experienced it that way. And I had no idea how I could convince anybody else to pray what I call my absolutely unboxed, feral. I was onto something. I felt something. I didn't know what it was. And Clark indulged me. And then he can share how he got started praying the rosary <laughs> with me, which was my first rosary miracle. That he started praying the rosary with me is a miracle. <laughs> well, I grew up down south and, uh, you know, I had no experience of the divine feminine, except maybe my grandmother was more of a Kali figure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I you know, I, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, I was a probably a very poor choice on paper for a person to deliver this kind of message because, you know, before the apparitions began, I had precisely one book in my vast spiritual library on the divine feminine, which was the uh, gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. And to give you some idea of how clueless I was, I had read it two or three times without realizing it was about the Great Mother. And if you've read that book ever, you know that he mentions it on like every page. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how I could, you know, have ignored that, I don't know. But when I left uh, Buddhism, I became a Zen Buddhist monk, you know, in my 20s and uh, left in my early 30s, I became incredibly spiritually promiscuous. I was curious about everything. I would try everything. You know. he, it wasn't just that he tried everything, Monica. He, I would hear that he had spent the day down with the rabbi, rabbis down at the, the you know, in the most Hasidic rabbis, or yeah. that he had, was off and had found some Chan teacher up in the mountains. Or, I mean, Clark and, and Clark would take to the practice passionately for six months and then abandon it. Yeah, yeah. Done. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, in retrospect, I think I was trying to get patriarchy right. I had rejected Zen and ultimately sort of lost, you know, interest in most forms of Buddhism. But I kept thinking that there's got to be a fix, right? There's got to be a right way to do this. And I somehow couldn't sort of see my, my way around it. Now, I, I learned the rosary, weirdly, in the midst of all this. It was the only practice that I took up that had anything to do with the divine feminine. I'm not even sure I thought of it that way. But I was on a, a trip to the Southwest uh, teaching meditation and haiku poetry, and I kept saying images of Guadalupe. And so I came back and I taught myself to pray the rosary. And I have to say, from the very first moment I started saying the rosary, 
I would feel phenomenal peace, unlike anything I had achieved with these other practices. Uh, you know, the closest thing I could compare it to is like maybe being in the middle of a, of a seven-day silent retreat at the monastery where I trained, which was completely removed from society, you know, often a very remote part of the Catskills. And uh, I was suspicious of it. I said, this must be like some placebo effect or something. Mm -hmm. This is not possible that a practice so simple an eight-year-old could teach it to themselves in an afternoon could possibly be having this effect on me. So I gave it up. Where's the technology? Where's the yeah, secret handshake? Where's the secret handshake? Where's the expertism? Where's the, you know, where are the badges? Where, where are the level, you know? Not, Something not little ladies do. Yeah, know. that's right. Couldn't, couldn't possibly, couldn't possibly spells. profound, right? So I, I gave it up. And then uh, what, like 10, 12 years passed and Perdita's, no, not even that much, a few yeah, years. A couple of years. Couple of years. Sort of when that's the kids right. were little. You started when the kids were little and, Perdita was, you know, having highway panic. And she turned to me at one point and says, will you teach me the rosary? I said, sure. She took to it. I didn't pray it for years and years. It was, it was 15 years. Yeah. Then a lady appeared. And uh, in the beginning, I, I didn't really know who she was. She didn't, you know, come in blue robes with a halo or anything. And she didn't uh, identify herself as such. But about 10 weeks after her first appearance, she woke me up in the middle of the night one night and said, if you rise to say the rosary tonight, a column of saints will support your prayer. And I always joked that, you know, I wasn't Catholic, but I also wasn't stupid. And there was only one figure I'd ever heard of that, that invited you to pray the rosary and made promises based on whether or not, you know, you accepted that invitation. But what was fascinating was Clark and I had both for a long time, uh, since the early 90s, been very, very concerned about climate change. And we both had been, you know, we're, we're nature lovers. We hike, we're outside all the time. We move to the mountains into a little shack because that's where we're happiest. And But we also have been, you know, reading climate.org for a long time. And we've been struck by how few people have wanted to pay attention to what's happening. Mm -hmm. And we began more and more to ask, what is the spiritual response to this moment of extinction and collapse that everyone is ignoring? Yes. And that it's terrifying to be in the midst of something as rising anxiety in the culture is this thing we're not discussing. That you can't have this many species going extinct and not know as an animal, which we are, that we ourselves are radically in danger. And so we, Clark had founded a group called Excess Anonymous, and we'd both gotten interested in non-hierarchical spirituality, no priests and priestesses, no money. We don't want any of the sexual or financial, we, we'd seen the sexual and financial abuses up close. And so we, how did you create an organization of friends mm -hmm. that had no leadership, no levels, no in and out group, no secret handshake? And Clark had started this group. And the extraordinary thing was there were anarchists in this group, many of the founders of Occupy Wall Street, Hindus, Buddhists, yogis, all Jews, yeah. and all of them started praying the rosary overnight. <laughs> I said, oh, this is the answer. I love that you just brought this in, Perdita, because to me, there is no separation. That the divine feminine and all of the ways in which we're being called back home, called back to the mother, called back to remember our interconnection to everything is what 
I think we're all starting to experience when I talk about this massive awakening. And you're right, there's been so many ways that I think the alarm bells have been going off in our in the soft animals of our bodies for so long. And I don't know about you, but when the pandemic started, I had this feeling of utter calm come over me as if like, oh, thank God, you know, thank God us. That there was a way that I thought that I was connecting like something important is happening here that is going to create a pause that is going to have us start to remember, you know, in 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 a larger way in a bigger way in a in such a needed way. Well, she was like a mother giving us a timeout, wasn't she? Yes, she was. Now, I don't want to mitigate the tremendous death and loss of this experience for Mm-mm. people Mm-mm. and and for also those people on the front lines who have been experiencing such radical sorrow. But we live in a world right now that's going to, the, the corrections that our mother is going to make, you know, I sometimes think of the toddler at the end of the day, right? The house is wrecked and the child does not want to stop. And, you know, it says, let me help me I'll help clean up. And mom says, no, I'm putting you in the bath and you're going to bed. <laughs> a lavender bath. Yes. It's a lavender bath and I'm going to read you a story and I'm going to stroke your face and you're going to go to sleep Night-night. but you're going to bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think that mother wisdom of if we can realize that she has this and she has us and she can guide us through this if we hold her hand. But, you know, it's like a child in the parking lot. What does mom say in the parking lot to the child? Hold my hand and don't let go. Mm. It's only dangerous if you let go of your mother's hand in the parking lot. Yeah. You know, your, your, your listeners can go to our website, which is wayoftherose.org, mm-hmm. and they can read all of our ladies' messages. And she has been talking about the things that are happening now for the past 10 years. And in some of the earliest messages, she's pretty explicit. I mean, she doesn't say coronavirus or anything like that, but she's very, very clear that trials are coming and, and that uh, they, we won't be able to predict them, won't be able to control them. We're going to have to trust her and, and she will lead us through them. But uh, yeah, it, it was, felt like it was sort of right on schedule when it happened. We weren't that surprised. Yeah. And Clark, I love this you know, the exploration of the Buddhism, you know, it's so interesting, right? Because so many of the messages there are like, let go, let go. And what you're pointing to is that there's this, we need something to hold on to. And, and I want to, I want to bring us back to this conversation about the rosary, because I would love to demystify for our listeners what the rosary really it's its origin you know the power of its origin really was because i think so many of us us are under the false assumption that the rosary is associated with religion mm. I'll, I'll, I'll give you if you've got your listeners are listening and you can find a bead if you've got a bead on your earring or a bead on your necklace or a mala or somewhere a bead or a button roll it between your thumb and your forefinger And just notice how that feels in your body and how it makes you feel. We have worry beads. We have fidget spinners. We have fretting of various things and another. But feel that bead between your thumb and your forefinger. Because human beings, homo sapiens, have been making beads for over 100,000 years. Not 2,000 years, not 4,000 years, 100,000. 
thousand years, longer than we've been doing almost anything. And the question is, why? Beads are hard to make. It's it, it, They take a lot of time and care to make a bead. And why, if there, 70,000 years ago, there was a super eruption on this planet called Mount Toba, and the entire population of human beings was reduced to 5,000 or so couples in South Africa. That's it. And what did people do? What was their response? They made beads. They made beads. Why? It doesn't get them food. It doesn't do anything. Why would you make a bead? And I go back to holding that, that gesture of the bead between your thumb and your forefinger is the baby holding the mother's nipple. And it's where everything comes from. Food, love, nourishment, sweetness, consolation, connection. guidance, connection, intimacy. And that gesture of holding on is the gesture. It is the most primal of gestures for our species. It's the most, it is our first gesture when we're born. And the Buddha talks about letting go because the Buddha abandoned his wife and child on the night that child was born because he was so freaked out about the realities <laughs> of motherhood. <laughs> poor baby. So true. Poor thing. His own oh, mama died God. when she was born. And if we could just get him a cup of hot chocolate and some rice pudding, we'd calm them all down. But beads are older than religion. Religion doesn't get formed about 3,000 years ago. 3,000. 100,000 years ago. We were making beads. Mm. So, uh, you know, every tradition in the world, you know, and I discovered this when I got interested in, in the rosary. I, I, I sort of couldn't stop myself. got interested in mantra practices, bead practices. And this was, you know, during my years of sort of spiritual promiscuity. And uh, I, I didn't really understand for the longest time what I was looking at. Like, I knew there were mala beads. I knew there were japa malas. There were, you know, uh, juices, ninjus. Tesbis, rosaries, combaloys, you know, all uh, chakis, all these various different bead practices in the different traditions, you know, used basically for mantric repetition. But it wasn't until I began to do a really deep dive into their history and their point of origin that I realized that they had all evolved from the same basic folk practice, which goes back to probably Paleolithic times, which was in the springtime, to weave a crown of flowers to place either on another's head or on the statue of, uh, of the great mother. So this weaving of a crown of roses was a very, very ancient tradition. And long before roses became Mary's flower, they were Isis's flower. Before Isis, they were Inanna's flower. And it goes back into prehistory. So that when people began to use beads, right, to say mantras, right? Mm -hmm. It was it tapped into this very, very old tradition that was probably a mantric tradition. They probably had a spell, right, that they were reciting as they were picking these flowers in the field and weaving them into crowns and then offering them. And so it merged this very, very ancient pagan tradition, uh, pre-religious, pre-institutional, pre-civilized tradition, merged with the uh, practice of of counting prayers with beads, right? And you get this wonderful little legend, which I'll give you just a, a taste of, like you know, very long or innate versions of it, very simple. I'll give you the simplest version. This existed in every language throughout Europe in the early Middle Ages. 
it said that there was once a young boy whose great passion in life was weaving a crown of roses every morning to present to the statue of the lady in his village church. He was so inspired by this, he thought he would become a monk, and he would get to do this all the time. So he goes to the monastery, but basically when he gets there, his superiors say, no, it's a pagan practice. You can't do that anymore, right? And they give him all kinds of other tasks to perform. So he becomes so dejected at this, right? Because he just wanted to be close to the lady, and now institutionalized religion has taken the joy out of that. So he resolves to leave. So he stops at the chapel to say goodbye to the statue of the lady there. And when he does, she speaks to him. The statue speaks and says, don't be perturbed. Don't be sad. Don't be downcast or dejected. I will show you how to make prayers into flowers. Mm -hmm. So she teaches him to say the Hail Mary. And so he starts saying this practice. And for every Hail Mary, he says, a rose comes out of his mouth, an actual rose. All of the stories have this in common. They, the other details change, but the roses coming out of the boy's mouth are always the same. And these, sometimes the virgin herself is there and she weaves them into a crown. Sometimes an angel does it. Sometimes the boy does it. But the lady gets her crown. And that really represents the coming together of these two traditions, the Christian tradition, this very, very, very old tradition that goes back into prehistory. And I want to just let us step back a bit to our ancient, our medieval grandmothers, if, you, if you've got any European heritage. There they are in a village. And it's very hard to remember that these villages were barely Christian. Oh. There was no printing press. Nobody knew how to read and write. The priests didn't know how to read and write. The nobles didn't know how to read and write. A couple monks did. But, but reading was not scripture, the Bible. Nobody knew it. Mm -mm. And so the Catholic Church comes in as an empire. Christianity comes in. And for the people in these villages, and they've done DNA tests on people in these villages, and their heritage goes back 8,000 years. <laughs> Today, there are people in England who've been living in the same village for 8,000 years. You've got to remember. And they say, oh, the lady isn't Isis anymore. She's Mary. Okay. Oh, the baby isn't Horus anymore. He's Jesus. Okay. We know the lady. We know the baby. And in fact, some of the Black Madonnas are actually refashioned statues of Isis and Horus. Mm -hmm. And the name has changed, but the devotion is exactly the same. And these grandmothers, in oral tradition, create a prayer that is the prayer we know as the Hail Mary. And they create a devotion, this rosary devotion, where they hide their devotion to the Great Mother from the priests. And it is an alternative, the rosary for centuries is an alternative devotion to the institutional church. Mm. I mean, I'll tell you a story. Like we had a we had a Sicilian a friend of Sicilian heritage, and he remembers as a child his grandmother praying the rosary. She had a black Madonna in the room. And one day he came in because he was going to go to Catholic school. He's seeing these little blue and white valiant virgins, you know. And he says, Grandma, is that Mary? Are you praying to Mary? And his grandmother sits there for a long time and she looks at him and she says, No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he never forgot it. 
He never forgot. He was so confused. He was confused. <laughs> so we, we knew him when he was like, you know, in his late 50s, right? He'd been confused about this his whole life. We told him about the Black Madonna. And he goes, gosh, that's that's what my grandmother was praying to. And, and, and the attempt to extinguish <laughs> magic, like Clark said, you know, the, the, what would the Hail Mary is the oldest mantra, is the most popular mantra in the world. And it's also a spell. Mm. And these women knew it was a spell. Yeah. And it was actually a summoning of the triple goddess. Yes. And that's hidden in plain sight. Yes. And so, yeah, I, I was just going to say, so there, So for our listeners too, there's so much history here of suppression and oppression and destruction and denigration of the feminine. And so, you know, again, there's so many things that come up for me as I hear this story, you know, of, you know, her saying no, because also it's so calculated. It's also so true. And it's also an act of rebellion. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the rosary was an act of rebellion. And in fact, you know, it, it, it's it's really hard to realize because we live in a post-Vatican II world. The Vatican II, as Charlene Spretnik has written about in Missing Mary, was actually an act of violence against Mary as Queen of Heaven and Earth. And all of her prayers were removed from the Mass. The rosary was turned into a weapon to fight abortion as a way of taking the rosary away from women. Yeah. And there was a lot of violence against the mother and the need to turn her into an obedient little girl. I mean, if you look at medieval statues of Mary, she's often bare-breasted, mm -hmm. expressing. I mean, there are statues in the Louvre showing Mary holding up her breasts and expressing milk across the room into the mouths of the priests. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. these are not submissive. Well, and, and that the origin of that word virgin is actually, uh, right, com completely not what we've made it into be in the Catholic Church. It's nothing Church. to do with sex. Right. Yeah. And, and to everything power. to do with power and sovereignty. Yep. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yes. Yes. And even, and you know, I mean, we could go on. You, I told you, you're not going to get us to shut up. I mean, believe me, we'll be doing episode 20 of the same <laughs> series. You know, I don't care how long it takes, Perdita. You know what I mean? Like this, this, this information has just got to get out here because there's so much. There's so much. And once you start, I call it soul food, you know, and it literally, once you start unraveling, I call it the great unbecoming, right? It's like everything that has been unbecoming for a lady is exactly where we need to head because we need. And we also need to recover the wisdom of our grandmothers that has been sentimentalized and mocked. Mm. I mean, I once wrote a post on Facebook that went viral and insane because I said, I don't want to be the Dalai Lama. I want to be my grandmother. My grandmother had <laughs> six children that she knew how to feed during the depression. She had six children that she prayed through illness because she couldn't afford a doctor. This woman knew about prayer. My father mocked her for, you know, he was a doctor and he said, oh, superstitious old bitty, you know, thinking she can pray the rosary to end a fever. Well, she didn't have antibiotics. She didn't have a doctor. And that child she prayed for is still alive at 96. So the only one. <laughs> the only one, yeah. yeah. And, and, of six. And that lost wisdom of these women, these old women, like what does it mean to look to the, the wisdom of our grandmothers mm. who knew we're going to need it going forward? Mm. 
But we're going to need their miracles. But, but let's let's look at some specifics because it, you know it's worth it's worth thinking about. Like for instance, if you take a rosary, like if anyone you know out there in uh, uh, virtual land listening to this, you know, has a rosary, you can pick it up or you can imagine it. it's a pretty iconic sort of you know Catholic symbol. If you pick it up and you hold it so that the circle of beads forms a circle with the cross dangling down, then if you look at it closely, you realize after a moment you're looking at the symbol for Venus, right? The gender sign for female. That's right. If you let it droop a little bit so that it forms more of an oval with the cross dangling down, then you realize it goes back even further than that. It's the ankh, the symbol of you know the, the Egyptian hieroglyph for life, and, and which is most intimately connected with the goddess Isis. So you're already holding the, a symbol of the divine feminine before you even say any of the prayers. So this is a secret that's hidden in plain view. Here's another. The rosary consists of saying our fathers and Hail Marys, a male prayer and a female prayer. So it's a reenactment basically of the divine marriage Right, the heroes gamas, uh, the 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 marriage of 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 opposites, right? The integration of the feminine and the masculine. Yes. So, but the way you move through the rosary is you go through fifteen mysteries. Mm -hmm. These mysteries are very thinly disguised versions of the ancient mystery cults of the Mediterranean. Telesinian mysteries to Demeter and Persephone of Dionysus. I mean, the mysteries of Isis and Osiris. I mean, it goes back. They're more connected to those mysteries than they are the Bible. They are. And the Bible is really just sort of like a, a, almost a sort of, a, I don't know, a, uh, the, the latest version sort of written on top of these older ones. But here's a really interesting fact. You're talking about rebellion earlier. The rosary is a rebellion. One of the most interesting rebellions in the Middle Ages, rosary rebellions, was that the priests decided that when the rosary became popular, that it should mirror the New Testament, which meant it had to be linear. So it starts with the Annunciation, Mary finding out she's going to give birth to Jesus, and it ends with Revelation, the Last Judgment. Well, medieval people as a whole completely dismissed this idea. They said, well, we're not doing that because it doesn't make any sense. Because our lady, lady we worship, the one lady we pray She's to, not do revelations. and we've known for thousands of years, doesn't really function that way. She's not punitive. She doesn't think linearly. She, she thinks like the turning seasons. It's all a big circle, right? And so they said, so we're not doing that. So they put two mysteries at the end of the 15 mysteries of the rosary that weren't even in the Bible, right? They're all in the Bible. They're all in the New Testament, except the last two, the Assumption of Mary into Heaven and the Coronation of Our Lady as Queen of Heaven and Earth. And it's wonderful. If you look at images of the Coronation, very popular theme in Catholic art, you never see Mary as a 63-year-old woman or a 72-year-old woman. Actually, and I'm going to, because she read Mary Magdalene Revealed, you see her as the bride of Jesus. That's right. Yes. And you see the divine marriage. Yeah. It ends with Jesus crowning her as if at a wedding. Yes. And oftentimes, it, just to make things a little a little bit more mystical and somewhat confusing, Jesus is crowning her, and sometimes she's also holding Jesus, like <laughs> little baby Jesus. So it's like a, this big circle that, that, that starts where it begins and, and you know ends where it begins. 
Yes. So then the rosary starts over. We have so many. We've and we're working on a book about the mysteries right now because I'm fascinated by the midi, the Mediterranean mystery cults and their relationship to the rosary. Which is people people are just yeah yeah we'll change the names we'll do the same thing you know what I mean yeah. like yeah. and it's a direct. What does it mean though to have a root system back inside of these? I don't want to call them indigenous, but they're really ancient pre-religious devotions to the earth yeah and they're av- readily available to us we don't have to appropriate anyone else's culture no. we don't have to invent something out of thin air we you know i often say what's the difference between a prayer and a spell nothing nothing <laughs> okay <laughs> but when you say these words that your grandmothers have said for hundreds and hundreds of years and your grandfathers have said for hundreds and hundreds of years they show up yeah. And they pray with you. Yes. And they really start to show. You activate this kind of it's morphic like a, field yeah, of prayer yeah. and you step into it. Yeah. Which is why also, you know, we've been taught not to do that. We've been taught that to to go outside of ourselves to have an intermediary in many religions. And I really this this all kind of comes back to the same thing too, which is the importance of what I call women, specifically also men, and I want to talk a little bit more about patriarchy and then women and men, right? Because totally different. But what I also want to point to here is this, this importance of embodiment and how we have been taught to abandon ourselves physically, spiritually, Okay, so Perdita's like gesturing, so we know like she we're on to something here. Yes, this is a somatic. Lit. Holding on gets us back inside our bodies. Yes, and the 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 way of the the way of the disembodied sky god is the up up and away is this linear ascent. It's all about hierarchies. It's all about lineages. It's all about who's on top and who's on the bottom. It's all about the mind is better than the body. The soul heaven is better than earth up, up and away. And, you know, eventually we're going to upload our minds to some computer and go to Mars and, and, and it's psychotic. It is. And it makes us feel psychotic. Mm. And the way of the mother is down. Mm. The way of the mother is a circle. If you look in nature, all of nature is a circle. The mother, matter, M-A-T-T-E-R, matrix, and mater, mother, the Latin word for mother, are all one. Mm. Our Lady's first teaching on the rosary was this, Monica. The rosary Mm. is my body. The rosary is my body. My body is the body of the world. Your body is one with that body, what cause could there be for fear? Mm. Mm -hmm. And when we start to feel ourselves held, we're not only holding on, we're being held. There's nowhere to go. There's no better or worse. Nobody's on top and nobody's on the bottom anymore. Mm. And there's a mother in the world, and we're not going to go anywhere. We're going to be die. The rosary teaches us, about birth, death, and rebirth, and it teaches it to us somatically. And we heal this trauma of this disembodiment by praying the rosary. And I, I mean, Clark has written 
Clark wrote the earliest critiques of the mindfulness movement, and we don't have to go there because he saw the violence. You know, it's used to train soldiers because it takes us out of our hearts Mm -hmm. and it takes us out of our bodies. You know, I I wrote a a 17-syllable critique because I'm a haiku poet of the the whole uh, sort of non-attachment transcendence thing. I'll tell it to you. Have you ever seen a bindweed? Did you know what a bindweed is? No. It's Beautiful. Like a glory. It's like a wild morning glory. Okay. And it grows on anything. Like it'll it'll twine around anything. These beautiful white morning glory sort of, sort of blossoms. Anyway, this is the haiku. The bindweed blossom is proof that non-attachment is overrated. <laughs> 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 it's just that simple, right? It really is. It really is. Everything it, it, Everything is bound to everything else. And you've said there's no separation. Well, there's no daylight between anything, right? It, it, it's that close. It's that, Entanglement. you know, that yes. bindweed around, you know, around, we, we look at a plant like that. We say, well, it's parasitic. Now we're beginning to understand that the relationship is always symbiotic between the plants that seem to be feeding off. And it's also doing something for the plant. So there's this endless dance of different beings. And the rosary invites us to participate in that dance and become intimate with all these aspects of life, even things that we would ordinarily, you know, be afraid of or not want to have anything to do with, the darker sides of things. The rosary incorporates all of them. Embodiment is a subject I talk about in almost every episode of the Revelation Project podcast because I've discovered that for most women, it's the way back home to ourselves. When we reveal what truly gets in the way of loving the skin that we're in, then we allow the deep healing that aligns us to our true selves and opens us to the miracles and magic that's possible in our lives. For years, I was in a continual unconscious battle with myself. I punished myself based on what I thought my body should look like or for what I ate or didn't eat. When we feel ashamed of our own sacred bodies or blame ourselves for eating, we diminish our power and perpetuate the trance and the belief that we're not enough. It wasn't until I made peace with my body that a whole new world opened up for me, which is why I'm thrilled to share the Body Peace Seekers created by Nina Mandelson for women who desire a relationship with food and your body that is caring, nourishing, loving, and peaceful. Nina has guided thousands of women to feeling good in their own skin through Body Peace Seekers. It's a soul-nourishing opportunity to create a sustainably supportive relationship with yourself, as well as a sisterhood of women who are celebrating a new way of being in relationship with their own sacred bodies. So if you're listening today and want to be free of the tyranny of body shame and blame, then I want to encourage you to reach out to Nina. You can learn more about the Body Peace Seekers by visiting ninamandelson.com slash Body Peace Revelation. Again, that's ninamandelson.com slash Body Peace Revelation. Be sure to tell Nina, too, that you heard about her through the Revelation Project podcast, because she has a special gift just for our listeners that will add another powerful level of support to your experience. Again, it's Nina Mandelson, N-I-N-A-M-A-N-O-L-S-O-N dot com slash body peace revelation. 
And what I want to highlight here, amplify, is this, what you had just quoted about, you know, what is there to fear, right? Or something. And I think about fear, and that too is, is that great separation, right? That when we are in fear, which we are, again, like fear mongered day in and day out every moment of every day, you know, that 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 coming back home to our bodies, to ourselves, to the rosary, to our own sovereignty, to our own birthright, to to be at peace and trust and know, you know, not only that more will be revealed as we go, which I think is is so feminine, but that also you pointed to so much of your exploration and writing about the dark, which again, we're taught to fear the dark, the descent. And this is where we ascend, you know, it's so interesting, because again, going back to how we awaken, how we come to consciousness is through a descent is through the darkness. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that. Well, Well, just one thing as a woman, the demonization of the darkness is completely part of the demonization of the feminine. mm -hmm. And women's bodies hold and give birth in the darkness of the womb. Seeds are germinate in the darkness of the soil. Women used to go into the caves down, not up, not to ascend Mount Everest, but to go into the caves together to express and bring forth life from the depths of the earth. And the fear of the darkness is the fear of women's power, the fear of the Black Madonna, the fear of mystery. And what does it mean to live in mystery? You know, we live in a world we think we can understand and control everything, that hyperlit world. I'm going to turn this over to Clark, who's written a book about it, but we torture people by keeping the lights always on. You keep the lights always on, prisoners go crazy. And we have made ourselves crazed. Now, Clark wrote a whole book about this, yeah. so reissuing. We talk oftentimes about modern life in terms of addiction. And uh, now that we begin to look at the response of our entire species to climate change and our inability really to uh, change our behavior, even though we know that we're basically like a car driving off a cliff, right? That was Mm -hmm. the image that John Holdren, Obama's chief science advisor, used uh, years ago. He said, we're in a car with bad brakes, in the fog, headed towards a cliff. We know the cliff is out there. We just don't know exactly where it is. Well, now we know that the cliff is, we're here, right? We're probably already falling, right, off the cliff. Mm-hmm. So, but we, we find ourselves unable to respond in any kind of meaningful way. There's a lot of busy work. But there's a lot of delusion about what will work and what won't work. And most efforts to uh, solve this problem will only create further levels of complexity. Uh, that will create other problems that we haven't foreseen. So, our, you know, the earth will solve this problem, our lady will solve it, but I do not believe that that it lies within our, our power to solve it or change it. If it were, we would be, we would look like a very different species than we are. But that sort of addictive drive, right? Addiction to oil, addiction to media, addiction to information, all of it, What it boils down to at bottom is an addiction to light. We are addicted to consciousness. We are addicted to control. We are addicted to certainty. We're addicted to to knowledge. 
and not knowledge in the sense of wisdom, right? Wisdom is dark. Wisdom, wisdom is, always has a dark face. Wisdom has a dark face, and wisdom is hidden in the dark, right? But but this, you know, the age of enlightenment has, you know, set us on the road to ruin. You know, occasionally you'll meet a scientist who's, you know, honest enough to realize, and to, you know, to, to admit to others that they don't have a clue. Mm-mm. And that, in fact, they are overwhelmed by the complexity of the problems before them and don't know where to turn. Sometimes people say to me, how can you? I'm not frightened looking at the worst horrors in this world. And Clark and I were just talking about this last night. Uh, in fact, you know, what gives us the resilience? And we began talking about joy. And so I'd like to circle back to joy. Why, why can I stand at the foot of the cross? Why can I look at lithium mines? Why can I look at these catastrophic calamities in our world? Why can I read about what's happening in Ethiopia right now? Because I'm not in charge. She is. And I know that there's, the rosary teaches me that there is birth, death, and rebirth. Nobody goes anywhere. There is nothing but return. We will all be reborn into the world we've made. And so that makes me serious. I don't, no one's getting out of this alive. (laughs) There are baby boomers who imagine they're going to kind of age out of climate change. I hate to tell them this. You will be reborn into the world. So I, I, you know, it's serious business. At the same time, she's got this. Yes. And she's got us. And she will guide each of us. And what we need to do at this moment so that we are all reborn from the tomb. Mm-hmm. This is uh, a nice sort of natural segue to uh, what is essentially Our Lady's, you know, main teaching on the rosary, which is that we pray for our heart's desire. We don't just pray the rosary like a mantra. It is a mantra, and it will lower your blood pressure, and it will bring health benefits and get, make you feel more content. But that's really not what it's for. She tells us that the rosary is praying for our heart's desire. And every time we ask her, like, well, what should we do? What should, what should we do? My God, the world seems to be spinning out of control. What should we do? She says the same thing. And not just in here in Woodstock but in apparitions all around the world for the past 200 years, she said the same thing. Hold my hand, pray the rosary, pray for your heart's desire. But why pray for your heart's desire? Like it seems, it seems counterintuitive that when the world is spinning out of control around you, it, it seems like you should take the reins, you should do everything you can, you should get busy, you know, you shouldn't let a second get away from you to try to steer that car off of the road to to the cliff in some other direction, right? But that the moment you put your hands on those wheels and try to steer the car, the car will go where it wants to go. The culture will go where it wants to go. It does not have our best interest in mind. Mm -mm. Our job is to get out of the car. Our job (laughs) is to pray for our heart's desire because that's the only thing that can displace the culture. The, the, the civilization that we live in is a vast, moving, it's like an ocean liner that can't turn or stop its, Mm-mm. you know, a mile out from port. It's got too much momentum. It's got too much power. And, but our heart's desire, if we know what we truly want, we become resistant 
to the to the evils of the culture that will tell us what to want, what to desire, what to do, what to fear. Mostly, it tells us what to fear, right? What to be afraid of, and uh, you know, people who 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 have the people who have, I think, the 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 least idea of what they truly want in life are the most dangerous. They're the people most driven by profit, mm-hmm. most driven by violence, most driven by the need to control others. Person who's who's who is content in their heart because they know that what matters is love, friendship, beauty, song, dance, all the things that we've had as humans for tens of thousands of years, right? Our Lady is teaching us to let go of civilization and embrace the culture she'd always given us. Right. And which is, you know, our for, our ancient forebears, you know, they didn't work very hard. Yeah. They didn't, they had a lot of fun. They were touching each other all day long. They had music and song and the best art we've ever seen in the world. Art's never been better than it was 30,000 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And music. And they had each other, but they also knew that they didn't, they had her. Yes. Yeah. They they had her. They had a mother. The mom was in charge. Yeah. And if we can just let her be in charge, we can embrace the joys that she has for us. If you go back and you know, you go to certain areas of the world, you find more of them than some others. But any place that human beings have lived for a very long time, if you dig down in certain spots, you'll begin to find uh clay or stone figures. I have a friend who makes them for the end of Rosary. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. I love that. Perdita's holding up this beautiful woman's voluptuous body at the end of a rosary. Is that what that is? Goddess figurines. figurines, The early Paleolithic goddess figurines, Mm -hmm. they're all different sizes and shapes. And I have a friend who replicates them. You can find out about her work on our website. So great. (laughs) She's amazing. You're a good friend, Perdita. (laughs) <laughs> she's a great artist <laughs> great. I love Elizabeth it. Rollins, shout out to her Yay. But she replicates them they're all you know some women are fat some women are thinner some have big boobs some don't some have butts some don't all of them can be held mm. they're all meant to be held like this and they're all female yeah these these, these this, this first you know object of, of human devotion first you know these original goddesses they're all they're all female you find them all over the world so the great mother was, you know, for these people was really kind of indistinguishable from the earth. They made images of her so that they could experience the, not only being held by her, like from below, like, you know, as the earth holds us up and, you know, all around them, the air, the warmth, the sun shining on them, but so that they could also hold her in their palms and carry with them. Yeah, I love that. And I was going to say, you know, I always say that we live in the upside down, right? But (laughs) (laughs) like in, in, in all ways, right? And I was reading somewhere, and I'm going to not remember the ancient text, but it was Eastern ancient text, and it was something about knowing that we dwell, we want to dwell in the energetic of the feminine, because that is where the whole of life is, and to touch into the masculine, to touch in, but to come back to return, right, to the wholeness, to the interconnectedness. And it it just, again, it's like, it, we're, we're so in the upside down, because we are so hyper-masculine, like, our whole culture is so hyper-masculinized. And I often struggle when it comes to, it's like, we, 
the masculine is just as needed as the feminine. And when we talk about kind of how that has been amplified into what is known as kind of these patriarchal systems where they've amplified these these masks and distorted the masculine. Really, it's a distortion. I think that's the word that comes up for me. You know, if you look at these CEOs and you look at these guys, you know, patriarchy doesn't even work for the patriarchs. No, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, you look at them and you think, you know, what they really need is a cup of cocoa and a laugh and a story, you know, and we have been addicted to civilization and both the masculine and the feminine and the liberation of that addiction, the sobriety of that addiction is this long story the lady is teaching us with the rosary, the long story of life always being Born, died, reborn. Born, died, reborn. If we really feel that in our bodies, mm -hmm. we don't have to live forever. We can live again and again mm -hmm. and live forever mm -hmm. in that truth. And I think with the masculine and the feminine, I mean, our daughter is a great writer about the masculine and the sacred masculine. And uh, But I think maybe the rosary also teaches us, our lady said in one of her messages, I invite everyone male and female, young and old, to join me in mothering in the world. And I believe that for these ancient people, there were very few binaries. There was, a, everyone was a mother. And you see this in indigenous peoples. Everybody has responsibility for the children. Everyone has responsibility for the old people. Everyone has different expressions of masculine and feminine in their bodies in different ways. Yeah. And that there are a lot of ways to be gendered but everybody is a mother. And what is it like to live in a world where finally there are enough mothers? We live in a world where there are not enough mothers and everybody feels so unmothered and everyone feels like a lost, traumatized child. Everyone, everywhere I go, people, mothers are incapable of mothering in our cultures. We've made mothering an impossible task. Mothers fail. They're designed to fail. They feel like failures. Their children don't feel like they got mothered. Nobody feels mothered. What would it look like to live in a world where men and women or every whatever you want to be, everybody, every fern is a mother, every moss is a mother, every lichen is a mother. The plants and the animals all experience themselves as mothers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is, I don't want to make it as a gender term. It's not about biological parenthood. It is about recognizing that we are all each other's mothers, lifetime after mm -hmm. lifetime. Mm -hmm. We are all expressions of her in the world, and to be an expression of her in the world is to know that. Mm -hmm. Well, and right back full circle to the rewilding, that that idea of rewilding to me is the disintegration of or the right side upping, you know, of what, of what needs to happen, you know, where we stop centering ourselves, as Sophie would say, you know, and to start centering what really matters, matter, you know, and ah, there it is. You know, Sophie once gave us a, a great uh, image when we were working on the book. Because she was always around. She had a lot of thoughts and opinions about the book. I bet she did. <laughs> you know, going back to her teenage years. And uh, at one point, she turned to us one day and she said, you know, the rosary is a stowaway in the whole of the Catholic Church, smuggled mm. down centuries, right? It's this devotion to the Great Mother that's been basically 
smuggled down in the hall of the church. The little old women. So great. So lately, I've been thinking, like, like, well, what was that? What did they smuggle, those old grandmothers and everything? And I remembered, I've heard this from a number of different people, not from just one source. People, you know, you talk to people about, well, you know, where did your people come from? Well, my grandmother came over on her own, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. What they brought with them were seeds. Mm. They brought with them the seeds for the food they knew how to cook and the and for the for the plants they knew how to raise from the country they were born in. And a lot of the plants, uh, the cultivated plants that we have and eat here uh, were brought over by these old women who hid them. You know, like early on, they didn't need to hide them because there were no rules about it. Later, they would stitch them into their bras, right? So yes. my mother did. Your mother did. Yes. <laughs> So they would, you know, and they would bring them over. And so the, the rosary is like that. It's a, it's a rewilding, but it, it's also something that, that these people cultivated, you know, for a long, long time. It seems wild to us, right? But they're just the old ways that go back, you know, many, many centuries. Compared to modern life and the way they, we live, they seem wild. But they've been cared for and tended for, you know, thousands of years by our ancestors. And what makes us grow is that heart's desire. And, you know, Clark and I are also fascinated by, you know, non-hierarchical spiritual community. And we've created a community, a huge international community, 14,000 people, no dues or fees, no, there, there are no rules, Mm-mm. very few rules. Uh, we have a couple. We have a couple of rules. Got to be Sorry. nice. Got to be nice. And there's no money involved in anything we right. do. No advertising. Yeah. No advertising. Yeah. Nothing costs any money. Our meetings are 100% free. There are no requirements. There, there's no expert class. There are no priests or priestesses. No building fund. No building fund. No buildings. We're no. not building anything. The no. only thing we're, we, our lady once said, look at roses. Roses are an invasive species. Right. They spread. And what, you know, group of people getting together to pray together for their heart's desire are unstoppable. Yeah. It's a really revolutionary act to pray for your heart's desire is, is basically to become, you know, is, is, is to, to rewild yourself. Is to rewild yourself and to withdraw your consciousness, right? Your Back attention. Within yourself, yes. your attention within yourself, you know, so that it can bear fruit rather than entrusting it to, to you know, the culture at large, which will tell you to do all kinds of things that are bad for you and bad for other people. And I want to say to our listeners that their Facebook group is, it's just such a place. It's literally like what you were just expressing before, the music, the dance, the art, right? The It's its literally like a, a, well, it's a devotional, beautiful place where everybody gets to express their love, their heart's desire, as you say. And so I really welcome all of our listeners to join the Way of the Rose on in the Facebook group, and also, yeah, where else can they go to learn more about you? There are two ways. Our Facebook group, that people always say, is the most unfacebook experience in the whole world. <laughs> Thank <laughs> they do goodness, a, yes. It, it, it's very anarchic and very loving and very expressive, as you said, and really rich. There's also, we have a website, wayoftherose.org, and we offer rosary circles sometimes up to 10 a day, Zoom, phone meetings, where you can go and pray with other people. You can pray and make the words work for you. You will, you will, it's hard to describe how rich those meetings are. 
and what it's like to begin praying for your heart's desire with other people and telling your story. Because, you know, we barely, the rosary is a story that invites us to tell our story and takes mm. the tape off our mouths. Mm. It, it's not a silent prayer. Mm-mm. You get to express yourself and be yourself. And then there's the book itself. You know, early on, we didn't really know what to expect. We wrote this book. It was hard to write. It took us a long time to write it. Our lady, we the only single piece of advice she gave us, she said when we started the book, she said, just remember, you're not writing your book, you're writing a river. Mm. And we had no idea what that meant, but we've discovered it because it, it, it has its own force and its own momentum and its own power separate from us. And when we that river flow out into the world, it started to affect people in really remarkable ways. Person would, you know, just discover the book and they would read it. And suddenly they buy copies for their for their grandmother, right? Now we have grandmothers who are buying it for their grandchildren, right? I love that. <laughs> Little yes. old Catholic ladies who read our book and they go, Oh my gosh, my grandson can be a rosary practitioner after all, because he won't be able to read this. You can come to a rosary meeting. He doesn't want to go to church. He doesn't want to go to mass. And you'll meet a radical trans witch from Oregon praying side by side with a Catholic lady from Ohio. That's right. It's, it's, you know, and what I want to also say to our listeners is like, when Monette said, you have to read this book, I I was like, "Uh," you know, like, yeah, but I had my own kind of Catholic trauma with. And so there was that meaning, right, that I was projecting upon the book without reading it. And as I listened to it, because I got it on an audible, well, I got it both in Kindle format, but then I was like, driving so much, I ended up listening to it. And again, what I want to say is that it was the type of book for me where literally it was this massive kind of like unbecoming process that happened where not only did I understand the more the true essence of where the rosary originated and what its intention is all about, there's again, all these threads and interconnectedness into our just world as mother, motherhood, the masculine and the feminine, where we're at ecologically. Like there's so many inter beautiful tapestry of interweaved conversations within this book. Like it is so good. Thank you for saying tapestry. That was the image I used when we were putting the book together. I, Clark, and it, it, Clark and I would say, I just feel like I've got this giant loom. <laughs> it was such a big book. It was so hard there were to a conceptualize. There were so many moving parts. I get it because it was literally like trying to put the world in in a book, right? And that so seven years it took you. I mean, I, I can see why. And the fact that it didn't even take longer is a miracle. It, well, it was it was so hard, and it was you know people will say, oh, it's it's so effortless, you know, to read, and we go. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, every we, sen- and sometimes people will say, like, you know, who wrote what? We we have no idea. We have no idea. Yeah, even the chapters where we're writing in our you know because they're the the book basically mirrors the you know the form of the rosary. Like there are six our fathers in the rosary. There are six longer chapters. We're pretty tonight go back and forth telling the story from our point of view. And then there are all the little Hail Mary, 53 Hail Mary chapters, which are about, you know, aren't written in either of our voices, you know. And oftentimes that's because each of us was taking turns writing sentences and crafting them to get them just right, to say what we knew needed to be said. 
but the uh, just trying to conceptualize that was hard, you know, so hard. And we we thought we were done, and our editor took us out for lunch in the city, and she said, "You're about eighty percent there." <laughs> Never what you want to hear. I know. I was like, I bet that was hard to swallow. And yes. we went back to the, we didn't go, you know, it wasn't a radical revision, but we went back to the drawing board and we realized that, you know, there were certain things we just hadn't said up front that needed to be said. And Sophie gave us the idea to say at the very beginning, even before the book starts, this is not a Catholic book. Yeah. It has words, to be the first word. It has to be the first words you read. You know what? And I and it I remember that and being like, oh, okay, <laughs> thank you. Well, you know, one of the things that's really painful to me and and to see is the way that the rosary was co opted by the church to kill that's it. That's right. And they did kill it. Yeah. They that's did. That's why you can find it. You know, junk shops. It, the rosary is a private, personal, intimate devotion among women. Has really disappeared. It's become a tool in the fundamentalist in the developed world. In the developed still, world, you can still find it in Mexico, in Mexico and uh, South America. Mm-hmm. There are pockets uh, where where the, the rosary is still practiced, you know, much as it was in medieval times. But increasingly, uh, in the developed countries, in Europe and America, and in most most uh, northern latitude countries, it's really, uh, you know, it's been uh, deplatformed. The rosary has been deplatformed by the church. I believe that I've discovered one of my heart's desires in this conversation. Which is? And that is that the book, as more and more people read it and discover it and hear this podcast and every podcast where you're appearing, that this idea of the rosary as a radical act of rebellion will completely intrigue the hell out of everybody. And that that... Once they read, it is one of those things, like you were saying, like it it truly, I can't tell you how many people I've said, you have to read this or I've given it as a gift because it's just that beautiful. It's a masterpiece. It truly is. And I get that it is, it, it is sacred. Its message is sacred and it's infused. Like I could feel it on a, ce- a cellular level. So for those listeners, again, like do give yourself the greatest gift and listen to this book. You will not be disappointed. I mean, and again, Clark, I can't wait. I've down loaded um waking up to the dark yes yes we are reissuing it um next fall fall. okay it will come back out in a new edition fabulous hopefully we're you know we'll have a whole family slew of books next fall clark's book sophie's book and hopefully my book prolific (laughs) yes i love it bring us all the books you can as you can probably see (laughs) <laughs> it will be in great company on my shelves. I am a complete book junkie. So are we. It's yes, a problem. <laughs> it is. It's the best problem. So I want to just acknowledge you both. Thank you for your work in the world. Thank you. you have Thank been you so, much, so precious in all ways. And this, I was so nervous doing this interview. You're like, that's how much you two mean to me. I mean, I can't tell you. <laughs> I've asked at the beginning, you know, uh, where are you in Rhode Island? Because I know Rhode Island so well. You know, I grew up in that I am area. Literally, I can throw a stone at the university. Like, I am right behind the historic uh, jail. Oh, you're in Providence. You're in Providence. Well, no, no, no. I'm in Kingston. And th- of course, oh, I oh. didn't say which university, but the University yeah, right. of Rhode okay. Island, which. Oh, gosh, my childhood okay. friend lives yes, in Kingston. Yes, yes. So here, so we're very close. And yeah, so yeah, someday you must we'll come have to. On June 16th every year, which is the anniversary of the apparition, we have a feast day here in Woodstock. Oh, I and would it, love that. 
um, Monica, please come because we're going to do this year three day. We call it three days of peace, love, and rosary, and it was ecstatic this past year. Had a year. huge tent in the backyard. Oh, kids running, kids around everywhere, everywhere, praying yeah. rosary, dancing. Okay, say we had no a fair. More. We had medieval fair. You know, Woodstock's also a fun place with hiking and outdoors and stuff. And this year we're going to have poetry readings, and Sophie will be reading from her book. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, maybe I can even have a piece ready by then because I'm writing if a book. you do, it would be great. That's what yeah. we want to do. We want to have we want to have a lot of our write. We have a lot of Ray of the Rose books and writers, and so we want to have a lot of a whole evening of writing and presentations. Mm. Okay. Well, here we go then. More to be revealed, <laughs> Ray. Thank oh, you no. again. Yes. And thank for you our, so much. Oh, thank you, Clark. And for our listeners, we'll be sure to put these links in the show notes, and they're invited too. Everybody's oh, invited. Every, see, everybody's invited. Okay. No one gets left out is my only creed. Right. I love That's... that. Okay. Well, <laughs> till next time, more to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.